we are in a series for um, who do you say that I am? So in Mark, Jesus asked Peter, what's everybody saying about me? And he gave an answer that we're going to look at. And then Jesus looked at him and said, who do you say that I am? So we are in a series where we're going back and looking at what did the people at that time, what would they have said about Jesus? What did they say about him? What what difference does it make what they thought about him? You know, I think that we get to know people by watching how other people know them. I have a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's a long one, so let me get over here and read it for you. But in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. C.S. Lewis was part of a group of writers called the Inklings. Tolkien was in there. They were all best friends. They'd go hang out at a pub and they'd talk about their writing and compare. So he's talking about them here and he says, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, this was one of their writing friends, I shall never again see Ronald or Tolkien's reaction to specifically Charles' joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself where they very multitude of the blessed, that's all us, which no one can number, increases the fruition with which with each of us has of God. For every soul seeing him in her own way doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. The more we share what we see in Jesus... The more we see of how we understand him, the more we share of what he's done for us, the more everybody gets to know him. You know, you have people that you know in your life, maybe some you're very close to, that you know them in a particular, maybe in link group, in your small group, or they're your neighbor, and you walk into a different situation with them, and you see them maybe in their job, and you're like, I had no idea they had that much authority or power, or they could... They could teach like that, or they could write like that. I had no idea. You see a different side of them by seeing them through the eyes of someone else. And so that's why it's important for us to look at how did they view him at that time, because it helps us see Jesus in a more fuller picture, a more fuller way of experiencing him. And that's why it's so important for us, for you, to share your story about Jesus, how you see Jesus. Because if you don't share with me what you see in him, what he's done for you, I'm missing out. Because it's different. It's unique to you. It's different than how I've experienced him. And it gives me a broader, bigger perspective on who Jesus is. So it's important for us to look on how he stepped into time and how those people viewed him. Because he changed everything. He stepped into a unique time when Rome was in charge of the world, pretty much. One of the top three empires ever known. And not only did he step in during the Roman Empire, but he stepped into uh, the area of Judea where Herod was king. So you had, you had this giant empire, and then you had this 
kind of local empire, and then you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they contributed and the systems that they had, and he walked into this particular time. He could have chosen any time to live. He could have chosen any time to come in, become man, become incarnated, and die on the cross for us, but he chose this time. So it's important for us to look and see how did the people view him? What was it about him? So last week, Mark, uh, Ryan talked about how he was a teacher. It was so good. Wasn't it good? It was really, he brought out things I'd never seen before about Jesus needing two authorities to be a rabbi and that that yoke, that Jesus, my yoke is easy. It was really his way of living life. It was the yoke you took on as, as part of being that rabbi's follower. And he picks disciples that nobody would have picked to follow him as a rabbi. This week we're going to talk about him in another, from another angle. So this is the scripture I was referring to that when Jesus says, what are people saying about me? Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? Kind of getting you know, a little like, what's the crowd saying? What's, what's word on the street? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And he said, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? This week, we're going to look at him as a preacher or a prophet. What did it mean when they thought he was a prophet? Why did they think he was John the Baptist or Elijah? We're going to look at that this morning. So we're going to look at this scripture. We're using Mark as kind of where we're sitting to look at these different views of Jesus. And it starts out the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But Mark kind of skips the birth story. He goes right into Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was recognized as a prophet at the time. Now, there had been prophets of old, And we'll talk a little bit about why they thought he might be Elijah. There were prophets of old uh, that they were used to God sending people to come to them and speak God's word to them at the time. And so people recognized John the Baptist as a prophet. Now, one distinguish I want to make is is in the Old Testament, there were, you could have had a couple categories. There were court prophets and there were wilderness prophets. The court prophets would have, Uh, been in the court with a king at the time and kind of speaking into him. Other than Nathan and maybe Samuel, most of the court prophets, like 99% of them, told the king whatever he wanted to hear. The wilderness prophets, on the other hand, who came out of the wilderness to speak truth to who was in power, would take, was usually this repent, turn around, you guys are messing up, you're building idols to Baal, you're not following what God wants you to do, you've got an oppressive system, you're not being just. The Old Testament prophets spoke to all of that and said it's time to repent or turn around and go back to the way God wants you to go. So isn't it interesting that Jesus, when he stepped in time, the person who came out first, who prepared the way for him, was a wilderness prophet coming from, he was outside Jerusalem. He was outside the city. They went to him. 
And he said, repent, turn around, you're going the wrong way. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Jesus identified with John. John paved the way for him. He identified as a wilderness prophet. He identified as kind of an outsider, coming in and speaking truth to the systems that were working at the time. And here is where there's some similarities with Elijah. He um, was out in the wilderness. Elijah spent a lot of time out in the wilderness. Elijah um, was attended to by angels and fed by the angels. Elijah um, was able to reproduce food. Remember, he lived with the widow and the oil and the bread reproduced for them for three years during the drought. Jesus multiplied the fish and loaves. He raised a boy from the dead, Elijah did. Her son, Jesus, was healing people and raised people from the dead. So there's a lot of identification with Elijah. Jesus went into Galilee after this, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, there it is again, turn from where you're doing, and believe the good news. This is the verse about Malachi. See, they thought, in Jewish thought, and they still do, that Elijah would return before the Messiah did. See, Elijah didn't die. Elisha saw him go up in a chariot, a fiery chariot up to heaven at the end of his days here on earth, and he didn't die. And they believed that Elijah would come back and usher in the Messiah. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's the return of the Messiah comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Do you know how they, at Passover, they believe Elijah comes to, the, they open a door and believe Elijah's coming to Passover? Still, the Jewish people do. And they leave a cup for him, and they leave a chair for him, because they believe that Elijah was going to come before the Messiah came. So some identified John the Baptist as Elijah, and then some were identifying Jesus as Elijah. So when Jesus, that part where it says, he, I came to proclaim the kingdom of God is at near, he said that in Mark. And now, and then he says, the good news is here, right? What does that mean? What is he trying to say there? Luke kind of expands it out a little bit. And this is a quote from Isaiah 61. And that Isaiah 61, in some Jewish thought, identified was Elijah was coming back to do this. So he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the Lord of the years, the Lord of the year of the Lord's favor. Sorry. So he is coming to proclaim this good news. That's what a prophet did. A prophet was sent to speak for God and speak. This is how God sees things. 
This is how God sees you. This is how God sees how things need to change. Proclaim the good news. That word is evangelizo. And that was something that was familiar to in the Roman Empire. So at that time, uh, if one of three things happened, if there was a birth of a new king, if there was a victory for the uh, military victory or a new law, they would send out a herald. And he, all of this uh, is related to our word for evangelical and evangelism, but he would send out a herald and say, proclaim the good news. A new king is born. Proclaim the good news. The Roman Empire has had a victory. Proclaim the good news. There's a new law. Evangelizo. Jesus came. He says to proclaim the good news. It wasn't the same as what the Romans thought it was. Let's go back to this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. There's a new king born. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. A victory has been won. A recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. There's a new law. There's a new way of living. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus stepped into time as a prophet to proclaim the good news. Things are changing. Things are going to be different. Repent, turn around, and change. The task, this is Walter Brueggemann, who's a um, scholar on prophets. He said, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. They were sent to come in and say, the culture right now is not functioning the way it should. It's not obeying God the way that it should. This is not how it should be. There is a different way. It's time to turn and go a different way and present an alternative, a different way. Jesus not only proclaimed and preached a new kingdom was here, he embodied the message. He, everything he said and did was proclaiming a new kingdom was here, was born. This new kingdom would be victorious and it would establish a new way of living. So uh, different than the prophets of the Old Testament, different than what Elijah could do. Not only was he proclaiming, this is what God wants, here's the good news. This is not all there is. This is not how it should be. He said, I'm going I'm to embody, I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to embody that good news. These are all from Mark. Um, if you want to screenshot it, you can go, we'll go back and look at them later. But these are all ways that he spoke to the culture at hand and said, there's a different way. He healed a leper. He touched lepers, which was not allowed. He called a tax collector as a disciple and ate at his house with all the sinners. It would be like, I don't know, like getting a mafia member to come and be part, on your staff at church. Healed a man on the Sabbath. You weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Delivered the demon-possessed man and sent the demons into the pigs, which was part of their uh, financial structure. Healed the woman with an issue of blood. If women were bleeding, if they had their period, you weren't allowed to touch them, be near them. She touched him. He healed her. 
He talked to the Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile. He had a conversation with her and he delivered her daughter from a demon. He was not just for the Jews, he was for everyone. He allowed little children to come to him. Little children at that time were lower than this, like women and slaves. Do you know that at that time, if you were pregnant and you had a child that you didn't want, you would leave it out in a field and abandon it? Just leave it out there? And the people that maybe would come and rescue it were going to use it as slaves or worse? He taught, he said, bring them. Bring the children to me. Let me hold them. Let me touch them. Let me bless them. Oh, I forgot. Let's go back. He told the rich young ruler, you got to sell everything. He told James and John, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. He cleared the temple. Remember of all the people trying to sell stuff in the temple? He went in, he cleared it out. And he predicted the destruction of the temple. He allowed Mary to anoint his feet with her hair. He rose from the dead and he appeared first to a woman, Mary Magdalene. He not only said, there's a new way. I'm going to proclaim good news. This structure, these structures, these oppressive structures that you're under right now, it's not how it should be. That's not how God wants it. He's come to deliver you from all of that, to set the prisoner free, to heal, to deliver. But he stepped in and he did it. And he showed us and he showed them what it looked like. This is what I mean. This is what it looks like. Jesus was proclaiming to the people that the current culture's power structures were being dismantled, including the religious structure, the political structure, and the social structure. We can kind of put this into several categories. The first one being forgiveness. Jesus offered forgiveness to all kinds of people. They didn't have to go to the temple and buy something to sacrifice and have the priest do it and then you get washed and then you wait. He was like, your sins are forgiven. And your sins are forgiven and your sins are forgiven. It was free for all. He blew up their idea of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, they had all these rules around the Sabbath of what you could and couldn't do. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The Sabbath is made for you. It's for you to rest. Of course I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. He blew up what they decided was allowed to eat, who was allowed to eat at your table. He was criticized constantly for eating with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. He just kept expanding the table who you could fellowship with. He blew up how they viewed women and children. He had women that ministered with him, alongside of him, that traveled with him. He spoke to them. He validated them. He healed them. And children, as I said before. The temple. He blew up their idea of the temple. He was, remember, he was outside in the wilderness preaching this good news. John the Baptist was outside forgiving sins. You don't need to be in the temple anymore. When he died on that cross, he ripped that veil from top to bottom and said, we don't, it's breaking out. You can't hold me in the temple anymore. You can't hold God in the temple anymore. He's first now. Guess what? You're going to be the temple. 
I'm going to reside in you. You're the temple. So he was looking at all this religious structure, social structure, political structure, and saying, I got good news. I know things are bad for you right now. This is not how God wants it. And then healing and deliverance. He healed Gentiles. He healed women. He healed children. He healed lepers. They didn't earn it. They didn't have to go to the priest and do all the rites. He healed them. He delivered them from evil. He delivered them from demons. Again, children, women, men, people living out in the tombs. Next, the next couple weeks, they're going to talk more about that. So his, the ideas, the current culture's ideas on all of this, he broke open. But Jesus not only proclaimed the good news and embodied the good news, he was and is the good news. He is the one who established the kingdom not only on earth, in that culture, in what we can see, but also in the heavenly realms, in what we cannot see. So not only is he preaching, proclaiming this good news, God wants to love your neighbor as yourself. God wants to heal. God wants to deliver. God wants to forgive your sins. Not only did he show what that looked like, he is our forgiveness. He is love. He embodied deliverance. In Colossians, it says, He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That word dominion means you have a right to be in power there. It doesn't just mean that He rescued us from the power of darkness, He rescued from its right to control us. He rescued us from that on the cross. Later in Colossians, it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That idea of making a public spectacle, he knew That those systems that were oppressing people and marginalizing people and holding people down and even wrapping up the Pharisees who were trying so hard to keep the laws bound them too. He knew that behind that was a whole other power structure. You know how there's the thing and then there's the thing behind the thing? The thing, the structures, the power structures that he came to dismantle, he knew that at the root of them, behind them was evil, was darkness, was demonic. And he said, if we're going to be able to repent and turn from this way and go that way, I got to defeat that. I have to defeat the darkness behind the system. And so he went to the cross and said, do what you got to do. It was completely contrary to culture at the time, too. If someone comes at you, you go at them, right? If someone fights, punches you, you punch back. And Jesus says, no, 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 this is a different kind of kingdom. Bring all the violence on. Bring it all on. And he took on our sin, and he died for us, and then he rose victorious. 
And then guess what he did? The spectacle, he went down into hell, it says, and he pulled people out of hell. And he opened up, the, the tombs opened up, and he freed people. And then the spectacle idea is that he, it's like when the Romans would take the prisoners of war through the streets and everybody would heckle and yell at them because Rome had defeated them. Jesus did that to the powers of darkness. But what about us and what about now? Because it doesn't always feel like he's had victory yet. But it's one of those situations in scripture we see all the time where the now and the not yet. He defeated them. He stepped into time. He defeated them, but we're still working that out. We're still proclaiming that good news. We are still taking back territory. He said to his disciples, "Go into this is after he rose from the dead. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever doesn't believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And what is he saying to us? You go into all the world, and you evangelizo. You declare a new king is born. You declare a victory has been won. You declare there's a new law. There's a new way of doing things. Jesus called us to preach the good news. We're called to be prophetic, bringing change to the culture in our families, our jobs, our religion, our politics. Jesus gave us the power to pray and see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He's called you to do that. But guess what? After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up to heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples did. They went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. Don't you love that phrase? It means he partnered with them. He worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that accompanied it, by healing and deliverance. He confirmed it. He worked with them. Jesus changed everything, and he is changing everything. So my question is, are you proclaiming this good news to yourself? Let's start there. So what do I mean by that? Are you preaching to yourself, I'm forgiven? Are you preaching to yourself, I have freedom to rest? Are you preaching to yourself that there's a seat for me at the table? It doesn't matter who you are, what your past is, what you've done, what you look like. There's a seat for you at the table. Whether you're a woman, a child, or whoever in our culture is marginalized, you are welcome. He says, come on, let me bless you. You don't need to go in a temple. You don't need to be in here. He's with you all the time. And you can be healed, and you can be delivered. Are you preaching that good news to you? Because we need to do that before we can go out and preach it to the world around us. My next question is, is are you proclaiming the good news of new kingdom to your culture? Now, what do I mean by that? Well, 
Maybe you're someone like Jeremy Courtney who started preemptive love, who went to Iraq and has created a ministry to immigrants, to refugees in Iraq and Syria, and is now working on our borders with refugees. Maybe you're Heidi Baker, who went to Mozambique and preached the gospel and has seen children, blind children healed and deaf children healed. And then when the, they called a cyclone or hurricane hit, she's bringing uh, in supplies for them and helping them rebuild. Maybe that means Araminta, you know, Araminta Freedom Initiative, that's, it's an organization that wants to stop trafficking here in Baltimore, in Maryland, started with eight people, including Mark and Ryan. Started studying and praying and started Araminta Freedom Initiative that's pulling survivors out of the darkness into the light. Maybe it's changing the culture within your own family. Maybe you grew up in a family that didn't know how to handle anger or was abusive, or you grew up in a family that that didn't know how to handle shame or fear. Let me proclaim good news to you. Jesus defeated all of that. He can live within you. He can heal and deliver your family, your work culture, your school culture. He changed and is changing everything. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me while we pray and the worship team can come up. Sure. Jesus, I pray that we can see you as the people at that time saw you, as somebody so radical, so full of love, they couldn't get enough. There were crowds that followed him because he was preaching freedom to the oppressed. He was delivering and he was healing and he was preaching truth and repentance, not only to us, to the people, but to the the structures. His kingdom is coming and breaking through in individuals. He's breaking through in you. I want to proclaim the good news to you. You are loved. There is room for you at the table. You're heard and you are seen. And he wants to change the culture you're in. And he wants to fill you up so that you can go change the culture that you're in.